0: From Arcadia, California, The Carter Report presents The Living Word Around the World. of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. ¡Gracias!
1: There was a farmer who lived in the tropics. And in the tropics, in some parts of the world, you don't have little alligators, you have big crocodiles. And uh, he was having a problem because the crocodiles were taking his cattle. Now, in Australia, in the north, right up in the tropics, in the Northern Territory, North Queensland, there are real crocodiles. They're called salties, saltwater crocs. Probably the most vicious animal on the face of the earth. The average size of a salty is 17 feet and 1,000 pounds, but they can and often grow to 23 feet and weigh a tonne, 2,200 pounds. A man just a few days ago, a week or so ago, went swimming outside Darwin in, an, I think it's called the Murray River. He had to be drunk because the sign said, don't go in the water. But he went in the water, and a salty came and seized him in its jaws. And the last they saw of him was the salty swimming up the river with this man in its jaws. So these creatures are dangerous. They're predators. And so there was a farmer who lived up in the tropics, And he had a large swamp and it was full of crocodiles. You know what he did? He went around with a gun. Bang, 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 bangity bang. But he couldn't keep up with the crocodiles. They produced faster than he could kill them. And one day a wise man saw him out with his gun going bang, bang, bang bang, bang, and said, can I make a suggestion to you? He said, yes, that would be great. He said, I can tell you how to get rid of the crocodiles. He said, tell me how, more guns? He said, no, drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. And when you drain the swamp, there will be no crocodiles. Now in many churches and I've gone to them, I went to churches like this, as a boy in Australia, the preacher would take pot shots at the congregation. Bang, 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 bang. Every Sabbath, the congregation was shot. But let me tell you folks something. Get the main thing right and everything else is right. And so sometimes we have a sermon Preached by an enthusiastic minister against, for instance, lipstick. Bang! Jewelry. It's mainly the problems with the women, you'll notice. (laughs) Jewelry. Eating. Gossip. Not much on pride. Gluttony. Not much on gluttony. Laziness. The length of dresses. The length of hair. In the early days of this church, the Adventist church, if you wanted to be ordained, you had to have a beard. Couldn't get ordained in the days of James White unless you had a great beard. But then as time went by in America, if you had a beard, you couldn't get ordained because you were too worldly. And there was a time when if your hair was too short, It was bad. And when it was too long, it was worldly. And so preachers went around hitting what they perceived as all the sins in the church. Bang, 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 bang. When there's a solution, you know what it is? Drain the swamp. If you drain the swamp, you get rid of the crocodiles. And how do we drain the swamp in the church? Let me tell you, would you come over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 down to 25 for a start? Dear friends and gentle people, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 and onwards. And please notice it in the Bible, the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and onwards, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. If you preach the cross of Christ, you will drain the swamp of sin. We preach Christ crucified. Look at chapter 2, would you please? Chapter 2 and verse 2. And notice the words of the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen, apart from our Lord. Look at First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I resolved, Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look at me. Let me tell you the truth of the gospel. You get One thing right and everything else is right. If you get the gospel of Jesus Christ right, everything else will be right. But you can preach a million sermons and unless those sermons are full of Christ crucified, nothing will be right in the church or in the world. Therefore, our aim today is to drain the swamp. I want to give you now a mighty illustration of the true gospel. I've said this to you on many occasions. Have you heard it? There are many gospels. The book of Galatians talks about different gospels, but there is only one true gospel. Just talking about Jesus is not the gospel because even the Muslims talk about Jesus and even the Hindus talk about Jesus and nobody probably talks more about Jesus than the Jesuits. That's why they're called Jesuits. Not everything that is called gospel is is gospel. And the false gospel will breed crocodiles. It is the preaching of the true gospel of Christ that drains the swamp of sin. Let me show you a powerful and wonderful illustration. Would you please come to Matthew 26? Matthew 26 and verses... 17 and onwards, my dear friends, Matthew 26 and verse 17 and onwards. And we are privileged in this church to have a man whom I appreciate, respect, and love. He is Jewish like our blessed Lord. And since coming to this church, he is now a Jewish Christian, but still Jewish. And I've asked him to come and read the text, which describes his Lord, his Lord and our Lord. Blake, we're glad to have you here, my dear friend. Matthew 26. Verse 17 and onwards, slowly, so the words
2: can sink down into the molecules of our minds. Matthew 26. The Lord's Supper. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May the Lord have his blessing to the reading of his word. I want you to notice this over here. This is the most Powerful of all illustrations. Jesus took the bread. It was unleavened bread. That was their custom. The bread is made by wheat. And uh, the wheat has to be ground. And it is ground with some force. The Bible tells me that for Jesus to become the bread of life, he had to be ground by the wrath of Almighty God. We cannot believe in the foolish doctrine that says that Jesus was merely our example. We cannot accept the monstrous doctrine that teaches that Jesus just came as the moral influence theologians say, and happened to get himself killed. Jesus was ground by the wrath of almighty God on the cross. The wheat of his life, the wheat of his life became the bread of life through pain and through suffering. And if you want to be a Christian and be free of pain, then my friend, you will never be a Christian. And then there was the grape juice that represented the blood of Christ. And the grapes are taken and thrown into the, the winery and they're trampled down. He said, I have trampled uh, the winepress alone and there was nobody with me on the cross bearing the sin of the world uh, and the justice of almighty God uh, he made an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I would remind you of this and you must not forget this. That Christ was not a martyr. The world has been filled with martyrs. He was not a, a martyr. This doctrine, our Muslim friends say, we cannot believe because the Quran says, no one shall bear another man's sins. But this whole idea here is that one even god bears the sins of the world and so we believe uh, in the substitutionary death of the son of god and people talk about grace being cheap it was not cheap my friend Uh, being ground up by the wrath of god and your life squeezed out of you is never cheap and it is failure to accept the atoning sacrifice of Christ that has bred so many weak, superficial Christians. I want to read to you here from John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ. I've given it to many church leaders over the years. Crucifixion seems to have been invented by barbarians on the edge of the known world and taken over from them by both Greeks and Romans, it is probably the most cruel method of execution ever practiced, a million times worse than waterboarding or anything that men have come up with. But remember this, torture is the invention of Satan. And if you believe in those inventions, then my friend, you're not far from Satan. It is probably the most cruel method of execution ever practiced for it deliberately delayed death until the maximum torture had been inflicted. The victim could suffer for days before dying. When the Romans adopted it, they reserved it for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion or armed robbery, provided they were also slaves, foreigners or other non-persons. You crucified a non-person. The Jews were therefore outraged when the Roman general Varus crucified 2,000 of their compatriots in 4 BC and when during the siege of Jerusalem, General Titus crucified so many fugitives from the city that neither space for the crosses nor crosses for the bodies could be found. Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion except in extreme cases of treason. Cicero in one of his speeches condemned it as a most cruel and disgusting punishment. A little later he declared to bind a Roman citizen is a crime, to flog him is an abomination, to kill him is almost an act of murder, to crucify him, what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. And then when the early Christians described that God in the person of Christ was crucified, the Romans found it impossible to believe it. Listen to this. As Tropho, the Jew, put it to Justin, the Christian apologist, who engaged him in dialogue, I am exceedingly incredulous on this point. I cannot believe, he said, I cannot believe uh, that the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, should be ground up in the wrath of God. That the blood should be squeezed out of his veins. Now, there's something you must realize, and you must not forget this, so that we do not become a bunch of sentimental people. If you and I do not truly believe in Christ, this is in vain for me, but I must go through the same on judgment day. So people say, I can walk away and I can be free. No, you can't be free. Either he bears it or you bear it alone. It is the preaching of the cross that drains the swamp. Nothing else. Not philosophy. Not psychology. Nothing, nothing. Not even theology. Now, my friend, when you read the Gospels, you find that for the first 30 years, there is a chapter or two. Then for three and a half years, the time of his ministry, there are many chapters, but proportionately... More scripture is devoted to his last days and hours than to the rest of his life. It seems all out of balance. Why? Because the most important part of his life was not his ministry or the time he was a carpenter. It was his cross, his sufferings, his atonement, And then his resurrection. Now, who was this man? We've just read out of Matthew 26. Come to Matthew 25, in verse 31 to 34. And before the Son of Man went to the cross, he said these words. Everywhere in scripture he calls himself the Son of Man, but now he calls himself something else. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. The king will say. Just before he goes to the cross, he says, the king will say. Look over here, my friend. Who was hanging on the cross? The king. Whose body and soul was being ground by the wrath of God Almighty. It was the king. The king of the world. The king of the universe. The king of time and eternity. What sort of man is this? In Isaiah, you, read, you know the text. You don't need to turn to it right now. He is called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God Everlasting Father Prince of Peace Now We come back then And press the question How does the preaching of the cross Slay the crocodiles of sin The saying is true Too much law And they go out the door If, as a preacher, I continually go around with a gun, bang, 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 I'm not going to drain the swamp and there'll be more crocodiles. But how does the preaching of the broken body, how does the preaching of the spilt blood defeat sin? This has been a mystery understood by few. Number one, if for a little bit you can escape Los Angeles and the world, and I would say to you, my friend, if you live in Los Angeles, you'll find it very difficult to be a Christian. In fact, if you live in America, you'll find it very difficult to be a Christian a Christian, because the culture is so anti-Christian. It is easier, I have discovered, to be a Christian in Russia than it is in America or Australia, because our culture is so ungodly and so trivial. But how does the preaching of the cross slay the crocodiles? Firstly, It shows how great is his love to you. Two weeks ago, we had a surprise visit from San Francisco. When my daughter and her soldier husband came to visit, we were glad to see them. But that was okay. We were very glad to see the little girl, Amelie. And when she came to see me, because I'd been training her, she said, Hello, Grandpapa. Oh, I said, What do you want now? You can have anything. You want the house? You want my new car? You can tell you. (laughs) When Judy put her down in the bassinet to go to sleep that night, she said, Nobody go in the room. This is how we do it. She sings to herself. But I'm the master of my own house. And Julie is my daughter. She doesn't tell me what to do. I tell her what to do. So I went in quietly. I said, anybody there? Of course, she got up straight away. She said, hi, grandpapa. Oh, come on. What do you want? Julie came in. She said, she's got a very little finger, but she's got it around you. Hmm. Yeah. Love is the greatest of all gifts. It is the greatest of all emotions. If you go to the cross and see the king hanging on the cross and know in your own soul the king is there because of you, it tells you that he loves you. And there will be times when you will doubt the love of God that is human. There'll be times when you'll feel so depressed and the things of the world will be so overwhelming that you'll feel isolated and alone. But you are not. He loves you whether you can feel his love or not. The love of God, you know the old hymn, is greater far than tongue of man can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell how does the cross drain the swamp kill the crocodiles how can you love sin that put him on the cross how can you love sin if it put him on the cross I know that some Christians who are superficial and we certainly don't say this to condemn them but they give to God the least. They've got it worked out. Well, they they can't give to God a day, but maybe they'll give to God an hour. Sometimes they'll make it half an hour. But how can you be so tight and mean and frugal with God? who loves you. Looking at the cross, something happens inside the soul and you come to the place where you hate the sin that put him there. Would you turn in Holy Scripture to First John chapter 4 and verse 10. First John chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. This is a profoundly important text. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As I mentioned before, I want you to have a clear understanding today. What I'm preaching today is poison to the Muslim world. It is poison to the Hindus. We all appreciate Mahatma, Gandhi. And when in, still in India, a Christian explained to him about Christ and the cross, and the cross was something that was completely distinct and unique, and that on the cross he made an atoning sacrifice for our sins, Gandhi said, I could never believe that. He said, I could never, never, never be a Christian because every person must be responsible for his own guilt. And if you read the Quran, it says very plainly, No man can bear another man's burden. Nietzsche, the great German atheist, God-hater, said, The idea that someone would come and die on the cross for the sins of the world, he said, That is the greatest lie, the greatest abomination. That is the greatest weakness. And he spoke about the God of the spider. In his book, the Antichrist, he spoke about that which is strong and mighty and getting rid of the weak. And He said, I despise Christ and Christianity because Christ and Christianity, they want to help the weak. He said that is Antichrist, that is evil. So, what we are dealing with today is the most controversial issue in the world. That hanging on the cross was God in human flesh, and he was not dying a normal death. Jesus did not die with the peace of a Christian. I've preached this and people say, no, 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 no. He died with the peace of a Christian. He's our example. And he- no, my friend, I must not die his death because he bore the sin of the world. It is this doctrine that reveals sin. Come to Romans 3. I wish you would memorize it by heart. If you are not reading the scriptures daily, that is the reason why you have no passion in your life and you have no fire in your belly and why you are inconsistent and flaky. You have no power inside. Romans chapter 3, verse 25, 26. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. We believe in the blood atonement on the cross. Adventists believe in the blood atonement. Let the world know. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Who understands that? I thought the cross demonstrated his love. Yes, it does. But it demonstrates his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you understand that? We have a tendency to be so superficial we only read the Psalms because it's easy. But here you have the atonement taught. And it says that the cross was a demonstration of the justice of God. What does that mean? Do you know? The justice of God. Do you know that? The justice of God. The justice of God says that sin must be punished. Sin and sinners must be ground. The blood of sinners must be spilt with horror and suffering and damnation and blood and sweat and tears so that it forces from the twisted lips the cry. My God, my God, why? Have you ever said that? I hope not. Because that cry is the cry of a damned soul. Christ was treated with justice in my place. So if I truly believe in him, God can justify me and forgive me and it's not a, a conjuring trick. It is justice. Not only love, but justice. Would you come over here to Ezekiel 23 and look at a text which is one of the horrific texts in the Bible. Ezekiel 23 speaks about Jesus in the New Testament drinking the cup. Where does it come from? It comes from here. Ezekiel 23, when he drank the cup. Ezekiel 23, verse 32 and onwards. Ezekiel. And because of their sins, the children of Israel were being punished. Verse 32, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You will drink your sister's cup. a Cup large and deep. It'll bring scorn and derision. For it holds so much. You'll be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. The cup of ruin and desolation. cup of your sister Samaria you will drink it drain it dry you will dash it to pieces Christ on the cross took the cup the Bible says it is a cup that makes a man stagger as though he is drunk on the cross he staggered the cup of derision, the cup of shame, the cup of unspeakable pain. This Christianity is not a wimpy thing. Many Christians today are wimpy people. But this is not the religion that Nietzsche criticised as being weak and effeminate, the god of the spider. This is a religion of blood, blood. A religion of a broken body. How dreadful is sin. One of my favourite preachers has been a Roman Catholic preacher. Not Martin Luther, though he was a Roman Catholic. started out as a Roman Catholic. But I refer to the great American ecclesiastic, Bishop Fulton Sheen. I think Fulton Sheen had a way of preaching on the cross that would touch hearts everywhere. Fulton Sheen was a person who was persecuted by his own church, persecuted by his cardinal, persecuted wherever he went because Bishop Fulton Sheen believed that salvation could only come through the blood of Christ, not by our attainment but by his atonement. He told the story, I heard him tell it. One of the few preachers I would want to go to hear preach. He spoke about an old atheist dying of cancer. He was full of cancer. And when Bishop Fulton Sheen in his robes, clanking as he went, went in to see him. He said, I've come to talk to you about Christ. He spoke with an Irish accent, a wonderful accent, to be sure. And when he came in, the man dying of cancer blasphemed the name of God and said, get out, priest, get out, priest. So he said, I will come tomorrow. He came the next day and the next day and the next day, and the old dying atheist said, get out, priest, I don't want your Jesus. And he said to him, I will get out, I will respect you. But I want you simply to say, Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. You tell me this is a religion of weakness? Where have you been? Jesus have mercy. It is the delight of God to reach down and pluck from the fires of hell a dying sinner. No other religion can do that. And the day before he died, the day he died, Fulton Sheen came in and he said, will you please say, Jesus have mercy. He said, get out, X, Y, Z, priest. I don't want your Christ. And Fulton Sheen prayed for him there. And he came the next day and the bed was empty. And he said to the nurse, what happened to the old man? He said, after you left, hours before he died, he did not cease to say, Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. Fulton Sheen said, I will see him in the kingdom of God. And he was right. This means there's mercy for the worst sinner. But don't presume on the mercy of God. And some of you do presume. Some of you, or some of us, are so self-sufficient and so proud and so lazy, we do not even read Holy Scripture. We know all the new movies, everything. That is because we have been brainwashed by this evil culture in which we find ourselves. Little wonder that Dr. Ben Carson said to the president at the prayer breakfast, we are walking in the footsteps of the Roman Empire. Then he spoke about all the things that happened in the Roman Empire. And then a brother, Christian, Ben Carson said, because of decadence. And corruption. But there's only one thing that will get rid of the decadence and the corruption in your life and the laziness. And that is the cross of Christ. Jesus, have mercy. Looking at the cross, sin loses its power Would you come over here to Romans 6 and verse 14? Romans 6, verse 14, dear hearts and gentle people. Romans chapter 6, that's a book that you, first eight chapters, you ought to try to commit to memory. Romans 6, verse 14. The sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. When a person somehow is immersed in the grace of God, when a person is somehow immersed in the grace of God, the blood of the cross, sin is no longer his master. He's no longer under law, no but under grace. That is why the strongest Christians read their Bibles every day, particularly the chapters that talk about the cross. The gospel proclaims, listen, you are rich even though you are poor. There were two very poor Australians in 1869. They were looking for gold and finding none. They'd run out of money. The store would not even lend them credit, give them credit for food. And these men went out one day and almost in nonchalance, one carried a sharp pick and struck the ground near a tree. It immediately sounded hard. He thought, I've struck a root of the tree. So he pulled it back and then he saw the glitter of gold. He'd found a nugget that weighed 3,123 ounces. The biggest in the history of the world. 160 pounds, 72 kilograms. And he said, welcome stranger it is called welcome stranger my friend they were instantly rich poor men instantly rich you come to Christ you are instantly rich I tell you, you don't need anything else come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13 and 31 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 30 and 31. Now, I want you to see the theological implications. 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Listen to this. When you come to Christ, when you accept Christ, you accept the Trinity. When you come to Christ... You are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ, he becomes your righteousness. He becomes your sanctification. Everything that you need, he gives you. When I was at Boronga Church, some young people, when I was the pastor there, some needy young people came around to see me one night and they said, we brought so-and-so along because he's devil-possessed. They got this nonsense from some preachers, actually from this country, that Christians get devil possessed. This young guy fell on the floor and started to writhe. I said, Are you truly a Christian? He said, Yes. You really believe in Jesus? Yes. I said, Then get up. He said, No, no, I got a demon. I said, Well, let's leave him there. We'll just have a little prayer meeting and we'll leave him there. After about half an hour, he got up and he was fine. My friend, uh, the devil does not share the temple of god the devil can't share the temple of god with christ you see if you have christ you can be buffeted by the devil but the devil cannot share the sanctuary i want you to know this when you come to christ you have everything you need you have redemption you have righteousness you have holiness You have the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is a part of the Trinity. And so, when you accept Jesus, you accept the Holy Spirit. So, when you have Jesus, you've got everything. You see, it's like Cinderella, the poor girl. When she married the prince, She was instantly wealthy, not because she really was. So when you marry Christ, everything he has is yours by faith. Get the main thing right and everything is right. Drain the swamp. Believe the gospel. There are no second-class Christians. Some saying, well, you know, I am somehow superior because I can talk in tongues. Proves I've got... the. No. Everybody is first class because of Jesus. On Sunday in Bogotá, even though there was a little bit of rain, we went to the presidential palace in Colombia. There were lots of soldiers marching. I love to see soldiers marching. They had the changing of the guard. I like it when they swing their arms and the band plays. Then they had the presentation of the flag. Then they had, this went on for a long time. I was quite impressed. I got caught up in it. Then they had the national anthem. And I said to my translator, tell me, what are they singing? There are all of these soldiers lined up behind us and all of these soldiers in front of the presidential palace. And they started to sing with lusty voices. I said, what are they singing? He said, they're singing, we are here because of the blood of the cross, the national anthem. I don't know whether they understand what they're singing, but I want you to know something. We are here because Of the blood of the cross. Get this right. And everything is right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. amen. Amen. Please kneel. We are here because of the blood of the cross sang the colombian soldiers i want you to know something today the only way you and i can get home is not up the quaking sides of mount sinai not through the bad news of doo 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 cockadoodle do we get home by Mount Calvary let us pray our father we thank you for our Christ we know who he is he is the king when the king came in ah yes he's the king so when they put him on the cross they were crucifying the king shall I crucify your king they said Pilate said, We have no king but Caesar. We thank you today, we have no king but Jesus. We thank you that everything that God requires for time and eternity is given to us in Christ. It's not a case of striving, it is a case of submitting, it is a case of gazing. And looking, as it says in the Old Testament, look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Help us, Father, to wake up to ourselves and stop looking at all the garbage and television and to look to Christ. Help us to stop looking at the false in the church and to look to Christ. Help us to stop looking at our own sins and look to Christ. Because it is Christ alone who can drain the swamp. Drain the swamp in our lives today, our Father. Bless these dear, sweet people whom I love. Watch over them. Protect them. Bless Pastor and Mrs. Vanagis and their family. Bless us all. We worship you this day. How many will raise a hand today and say, I will look to Christ. I will hold on to my Christ please raise your hands if you can say that today. Lift them up high and say, I'm going to hold on to Christ. I'm going to be a Christ cross-centered person. Dear Father, take these upraised hands and these upraised hearts. It's been good to be in church today. Bless these precious people. Watch over them. Preserve them. Comfort them. Sustain them. And at last, dear Father, when the King comes, Save us because you saved us now. Amen. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
0: Jesus, your name is power Jesus, your name is might Jesus, your name will break every stronghold Jesus, your name is life Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is mine. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is healing. Jesus, your name gives sight. Jesus, your name will bring. Oh, Jesus, your name is life. Jesus your name is holy
2: Jesus your name